The Hamlet Podcast. Hello and welcome to this exploration of the Castle of Elsinore with me, your host, Connor Hamrity. I'm sitting by a very tranquil harbour a little north of Copenhagen on a very warm, sunny day. I can see Sweden in the distance, far across the water, and right in front of me, at long last, dear listener, is the Castle of Elsinore. The approach to the castle at Elsinore is quite a gentle one. Off the train from Copenhagen, you pass the ferry port for passengers heading to Sweden, and then it's a gentle walk along the cobbled seafront. The castle is visible in the distance, standing proudly on a very strategic position overlooking the water. The cobbles take the visitor past an impressive modern cultural centre, and then over a severe concrete maritime museum. And then... Finally, you reach the flag that says, Welcome to Kronborg Castle. There's more of a walk ahead as you pass the outer ramparts along and eventually over the moat, and then through and under more fortifications. All the while, I was thinking that there was one thing I wasn't seeing. Battlements. Since our play begins somewhere up on high, I was most intrigued looking out for where if at all, Bernardo and Marcellus might be perched when they spot the ghost. And to be honest, this was a pretty good question to ask even before getting across the moat. As you might see from any photograph of the castle, Kronberg has very steeply pitched roofs, and they all slope directly to their edges, before a severe drop to what's below. And while the castle as it is now dates from the 1630s, when it was reconstructed after a fire, you get the sense that it was never quite as intensely fortified as to have had high-up battlements as Shakespeare might have imagined. For starters, they don't need them. This castle sits at such a perfect location that it has a panoramic view over the sea, all the way across to Helsingborg in Sweden. It's an ideal vantage point from which to observe any sea traffic in any direction. I decide to join an English language tour when I arrived. Short and sweet, as advertised, it was a brief introduction to the castle's history and its construction and some of the major characters who have lived there. Our guide positioned herself under an elegant little plaque that honours William Shakespeare, but she was at pains to point out that he had never been to Elsinore, and that there was much more to the castle than the story of Hamlet. My group was quite extraordinary. A good few Hamlet fans, like myself, some even more devoted than you might think I am. There was a group of Japanese senior citizens, one of whom proclaimed very proudly that she had seen Hamlet over twenty-five times on stage, but never in Danish. Later on, She and I got to chatting a little bit, and she told me that she had seen seven out of eight of Ninagawa's productions of Hamlet, but not the one he did in England. I told her that I'd seen that one, and so between us we had a full set. She laughed, and then she told me that she preferred Laurence Olivier to all of them. Elsewhere in the group was a pair of twins, called Rosa and Gilda. And yes, their bardophile parents had named them after the two likely lads, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. There was a mother with her son, and what appeared to be a new husband. 
They were two students from Germany, seemingly best friends. There was a French father on holiday with his two children, and I'm not making this up. The boy wanted to go back to Paris, and the girl wanted to go and pick flowers. All the others seemed perfectly understandable, but this last felt just too good to be true. And then there was me, happily travelling alone, but having a little think to myself about life and grief and those we've lost. I began the Hamlet podcast six years ago this week, and as I tried to split the text into the twenty-line portions that we'd explore every week, I looked at the calendar and saw that it would very likely end in or around July of 2021, and that my birthday that year, my 40th, would be on a Sunday, which, you already know, is the day that regular episodes of the show come out. So it struck me that I should do something significant to celebrate this birthday and the conclusion of the project. The plan to come to Elsinore was a lovely one, and would of course have been perfect had the world not been so compromised by the pandemic and all of its consequences. Two years later, perhaps it was better to visit without much expectation, or indeed the pressure to deliver a brilliant final episode or something. Wandering around the castle, it strikes me that it'd be rather tricky to find a place to sit down and record. There are a lot of people visiting, and of course they don't need to have their visits shushed on my account. I've counted over a dozen other languages being spoken by my fellow guests here, and this makes sense, since Hamlet is such an international play. There's political contact with Norway, Hamlet has been studying in Germany, Laertes in France, and then Fortinbras crosses Denmark to get to Poland. Hamlet is himself sent off to England, and the big fourth-act drama happens off-stage on a pirate ship, a passport to great international intrigue in those days. I was eager to ask my guide if she knew of any early performances of Hamlet in the castle, or whether Shakespeare's own company might ever have come to Denmark. She was fairly sure that Shakespeare hadn't visited, but did provide the intriguing tidbit that King James, then the sixth of Scotland and not yet the first of England, would have come to Cromberg in 1590 for his marriage to Princess Anne. Anne was the daughter of Queen Sophie and of Frederick II, who had transformed Cromberg and built it as the jewel in his crown. Cromberg literally means the crown castle. Frederick and Sophie are mentioned throughout the castle, and one gets the sense that they not only loved each other, but really loved this place. Their bedrooms were adjacent, apparently most unusual, and the castle they loved was rightly famous across Europe. When it burned down, by accident, in 1629, it was reconstructed by Anne's brother, Christian IV, as closely as possible to the original. The Danish court moved around quite a bit, so Kronberg's burning didn't leave the royals homeless by any means. There are a great many other beautiful castles to explore in Denmark. But it's Kronberg, mind you, that was granted the status of being a UNESCO World Heritage Site in the year 2000. As well as being the setting for Hamlet, perhaps the most famous play in human history, it is also a beloved and symbolic landmark in the Danish imagination. While the castle has its own history, haunted by its own memories and ghosts of kings and queens past, it's very tempting to imagine where the scenes of our play might take place in and around the castle. 
is a beautiful great hall, still equipped with two lavish thrones that would suit the grander scenes of the play. The quieter scenes could take place in the library or any of the various studies or even the chapel. The Queen's apartment is also available, and the palace courtyard could house a variety of scenes as well. Even in the absence of battlements, as Shakespeare might have imagined them, there are enough walls and ledges, and certainly enough cannons, that an enterprising production might create something very mysterious indeed if the ghost seemed to appear in the moonlight mist coming in from the sea. These days, there is a whole festival devoted to performances of Shakespeare and other plays every year at Kronborg. With consummate skill, I managed to book my trip for the first weekend after this year's festivities. But who knows? Maybe I'll get to come back for another visit. A rather wonderful pair of coincidences happened to me after I left and returned to the capital. Late in the afternoon, I had lunch in a beautiful Japanese shop in central Copenhagen, where an in-house exhibition of artworks made from paper had the very definite title of To Be. In the evening, I was on the 2A bus back to my hotel, and a group of very merry Italian tourists started to realise that they were on the wrong bus. Dear listener, it was the most amazingly surreal end to my day of Hamlet-related visits to hear this group desperately questioning their choice and asking anyone who'd listen if this really was 2A, and therefore not to be. Not to be, they asked over and over again. Between the quiet and elegant artistry of to be and the madcap drunken adventure of not to be, how could anyone choose? Lucky me that I got to experience both. But back to Elsinore. My guide lit up as she told me about the Globe Theatre production of Hamlet that visited Elsinore on its monumental world tour, attempting to perform the play in every country on earth. Where better in Denmark, she asked, than right here? This prompted me to have a little look at Dominic Drumgoul's lovely book documenting that astonishing tour, and I found a great little segment where he mentions the actors George Bryan and Thomas Pope. These two gentlemen had spent some considerable time working at Kronborg, and so when they returned to England could have furnished Shakespeare with all manner of details about the castle and the Danish cold. Later in the same chapter, Drumgoul also discusses the great freedom available to such travelling players, who could arrive, tell a story, forge some new connections, maybe speak some truth to power, and then leave. Shakespeare seems very aware of how exciting and important this freedom can be, which is probably why Hamlet enlists the acting company in his ruse to rattle Claudius. That gigantic scene, Act Two, Scene Two, with all its theatrical ideas and references and even in-jokes, is not there by accident. As for freedom, well, after we all had a taste of being locked up and quarantined, when everything was weary, stale, flat and unprofitable, there's something particularly moving about being able at last to walk around, exploring the castle ramparts and its cannons, breathing the very fresh air blowing in across the sea. I recorded the following conclusion as I sat there, but I had to wait as there was a little boy close to me who was screaming for the father he'd just lost. Ironic, I suppose, and happily he found him and was promised an ice cream and told to stop worrying so much. It felt appropriate. 
I'm sitting under the Danish flag that stands proudly as a bastion in the corner of the castle battlements. There's a massive panorama across the sea, over to Sweden in the distance. There's a tour group behind me getting their marching orders as they learn how to fire cannon into the distance. Hopefully not for anything too soon. And it strikes me that I reached something of an ending here. It was two years ago that I wanted to come and conclude the podcast with the last episode here, which didn't happen for obvious reasons. But I'm here now. It's very quiet. It's very beautiful. Fresh Nordic air is wafting by. And I just want to say thank you for coming on this journey with me.